I really was not at all like Cecil B. Demented, I don't think. Certainly, some of the stuff that happened, we made like filmmaking, however we could make it and everything. But certainly, I always said this was, um, I was like Cecil, if my parents hadn't loved me, I might have turned out like Cecil B. Demented. So I'm doing um, a joke on what I would have been like, or any young director would be like, if he was completely crazy and went off the deep end and worshipped Otto Preminger and Cecil B. DeMille and all those kind of directors that were known for being kind of mean and crazy. I'm using all my experience, certainly from the old days when we when we would just run out and make movies and never ask permission. So I'm using also my all my experiences in 60 radical um, riot behavior and putting that in this also. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum! Astral Radio Z is a horror cult exploitation film podcast by filmmakers, critics, musicians, journalists, and fans for the film obsessed. Welcome to another episode of Astro Radio Z, folks. Before we get into our movie tonight, I would like you to tell me about Mel Gibson's Dick and Balls. (laughs) No, actually, I I want Seth Poland to tell me about Mel Gibson's Dick and Balls. Mel Gibson's Dick and Balls get a solid two out of ten. CelluloidTerror.com official rating. Andrew Shearer, what do you give Mel Gibson's dick and balls? And how big is this penis anyway? <laughs> I'm Petey. I'll be your driver. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing in here but us whackers, whackers tonight. So what I mean by the whackers is we have Angelique. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I am wonderful. And the last whacker is Amanda. How are you doing? <laughs> Hello. I'm fine. <laughs> of course, all this nonsense we're talking about come from tonight's focus, which is John Waters, Cecil B. Demented. 6.46 p.m. in the name of underground cinema. Baltimore, Maryland. All Hollywood has come east for the premiere of Some Kind of Happiness. There's Mayor Fenwick leading the procession of stars to the gala event. And now the moment everyone's been waiting for, Honey Whitlock, starlet to the stars, gorgeously dressed, makes her grand entrance. And now for the moment you've all been waiting for. 7.02 p.m. When the word is given, we will seize the cinema. I am Cecil B. Demented, and this is a kidnapping. Miss Whitlock, I am Cecil B. Demented, and I'm your new director. I'd like you to meet your co-stars. I call them the Sprocket Holes. Don't worry, we're horny. But our film comes first. We don't take no no Yeah, we gotta start this I just am not motivated. How's this for motivation, huh? No budget! We don't take no notes! No budget! Oh my god, it's Honey Whitlock! Patch Adams does not deserve a director's cut! The first one was long enough! Honey Whitlock was always attracted to the wrong kind of man. She'd do anything for sex. This is a go! No budget! Cecil B. Demented, you can never stop Hollywood. You're one of us now, you know what to say. Oh, 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 oh,
think I speak for every member of the Academy of the Arts and Sciences when I say, Honey Whitlock, you are a disgrace to the entire Hollywood community. Say it. Demented forever. Ready for my close-up, Mr. Demented. Mr. Andrew Shearer, would you please tell my fine listeners what is the plot of Cecil B. Demented? John Waters' Cecil B. Demented is about a group of renegade underground filmmakers who kidnap a Hollywood star and force them force her to be in their movie. Coming off of the heels of John Waters' Pecker, I can't say that just Pecker. I always have to say John Waters' Pecker just because it has a nice ring to it. Um, Cecil B. Demented is the part of the last trilogy of films that he did that most people kind of consider the downward slide of John Waters. I thought if you remember dear listeners that revisiting Pecker was a happy surprise. And I was kind of looking forward to revisiting Cecil B. Demented because I have not seen it since the year 2000 when it was released. And I remember back in the day when I first saw it, I was heavily into early era John Waters, like Desperate Living and Pink Flamingos and Multiple Maniacs. And Pecker didn't do much for me. And this movie did even less for me initially when I first saw it. And I know this is Amanda's first time that she's ever seen it. So I'm very interested to hear what she thinks about Cecil B. Demented. In general, do you think this feels like a John Waters movie uh, to you at all? Or do you think this kind of feels like this could have been made by anybody else? It doesn't feel like a John Waters film to me at all. I texted Derek about 20. I told him when I was starting to watch it and about 20 minutes in to it, um, I said to him, well, this just feels like a movie. There's nothing about it that says John Waters to me. And it, as the movie goes along, it's that slowly picks up steam in terms of John Waters character and quirkiness and stuff like that. And how everything's just kind of a little bit bigger than life. But overall, it's so underwhelmingly John Waters. <laughs> What do you mean underwhelmingly John Waters? Are you it's just John think- Waters and it's so watered down. Okay. It's just underwhelming. Ugh. Even though this feels like it's it's closer in spirit to a lot of the earlier movies, just like it has a very punk edge to it. It feels like it's very chaotic. Like there's a lot of yelling at the screen, a lot of proclamations, a lot of weird characters doing drugs and a lot of ties to John Waters personal earlier mm-hmm. career and his life and stuff. You still feel like this is totally watered down stuff. Yeah. To me, it's got a punk edge to it because there's punk music on the soundtrack. And that's so disappointing. Oh, very interesting. Angelique, what do you think about Cecil B. Demented in general? Do you have the same feeling? It's not one of my faves. I highly dislike Melanie Griffith. <laughs> so uh, it was hard for me to enjoy this when it first came out anyway. Uh, but it, it, I, I agree. It, it doesn't really feel like a John Waters film very much. 
And it, it, this opinion hasn't changed over the years uh, uh, upon rewatching this for the show? Not really, no. Like, there's some funny moments and some moments that are like, okay, yeah, it's tolerable. But overall, yeah, you know, I've, I've watched it not very many times, but it's not one that I'll, you know, hey, I'll, I'll ever feel like sit down and watching for real. Yeah, no, I would never, I won't, I will not revisit this movie. It's unfortunate yeah. because I, yeah. this is what I came away with mm-hmm. is that I think, because I've watched this a few times this week amping up i think this is a movie that genuinely warrants multiple views for mm-hmm. it to open up because i think its style is so in your face that it's it's easy to get sideswiped by how on the nose a lot of it is and you know it feels very much of its era the 2000s it feels like uh the latter era of uh, the 90s with the music it almost feels like that gutter punk type stuff but there's also death metal and grindcore in there and a bunch of other stuff that it makes it feel firmly of that era and a lot of that stuff from that era was really on the nose and i think it's easy to kind of think that or have the feeling walking away watching it at first going Oh, this is kind of rubbing me the wrong way but you're not under at least to me upon watching it again that's exactly what he's wanting you to think. I have a feeling he he's doing something that I, I just got, thankfully, from Mr. Seth Powell, and he sent as a, a care gift, uh, John Waters' new book, Make Trouble, which is, if you haven't gotten it, listeners, yet, you should go out and get it. It's an amazing book. You won't have it with his signature in it like I do, so I'm just going to make you jealous because mine has a signature in it. <laughs> Mr. Seth was kind enough to get that for me. But um, it's an, a commencement speech he gave uh, to the Rhode Island School of Design, and there were a few pages in it where he said some things that really rang true to me about this movie. And I think when you, you put it in context about the kind of the message of how uh, Hollywood cinema is co-opting the underground and uh, using what used to sell for independent filmmakers and turning it into homogenized garbage. When you start listening to what John Waters has to say outside of uh, Cecil B. Demented, you kind of understand what he's going for in this. And there's, there's one line where he says, you need to prepare sneak attacks on society. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that's a main thing, a main point in uh, Cecil B. Demented is that the only way they were able to go out and, and get genuine reactions for their movie were to go out with guns and jump in the mix, kind of like uh, Sasha Baron Cohen would do with like uh, Borat and Bruno and stuff like that. And that's kind of some of what he, the, the crew that Cecil uh, be demented had his crew of miscreants that were making this movie uh, what they were doing but the main point I think is John Waters he's he doesn't like to settle on his laurels and be comfortable with what he's making at any point and that also means to himself and there's a there's a couple pages in make trouble it that literally just say make me nervous and I think this is a this is a movie, and I, I'll get to Seth and Andrew in a minute. This is a movie that I think kind of goes outside of John Waters' comfort zone a little bit. 
And I think he it, it, it's a very youthful movie for a man at that point who is in his 50s. You have grindcore music. You have a, a very youthful cast all doing pretty crazy stuff. So I, I, to me, I think this is just a movie you need to kind of watch a few times to get a lot out of it. And, and I think John Waters himself made it to kind of get back to that kind of fuck you spirit. And I, the more I watched it, the more I appreciate this movie. Seth, how do you feel about Cecil B. Demented? Uh, I think it's, I said it with Pecker. I think it's going to be um, a grower, not a shower. <laughs> I didn't, didn't love Cecil B. Demented. Uh, it, like you said, it felt very much of its time period. And that did rub me the wrong way. Maybe because I'm watching it for the first time 17 years after it was first released. But it just felt like John Waters by way of MTV2. Yeah, yeah. I hear you um, on that. Which, you know, I was I was disappointed by. I mean, it had the John Waters touches in there, but it all just felt really contrived and kind of half-assed John Waters to me. I know this is completely not the opinion of, of Mr. Andrew Shearer, and that's why I left Andrew to last, because I kind of wanted to hear. I, I kind of figured that this would be the consensus of the majority of us. And uh, because it, it very much is a different kind of John Waters experience than what we have grown accustomed to. And I think going, going into this movie from watching all of the previous films, I had a feeling this was going to be the most divisive one. It always has been with me, but I do know that Mr. Andrew Shearer dearly loves this movie. So Andrew, would you like to uh, say a little bit about what you think about Cecil B. Demented? Yeah. Well, I remember when I first saw it, when it came out, I was just very happy that it was that John Waters was kind of back to, you know, doing the kind of, you know, a movie in the kind of the spirit of the old ones, you know, and in particular, I lot I thought that, you know, he was kind of really like fucking with his own audience at that point, like his yeah. own, like the John Waters purist. This is a movie that makes fun of, you know, film snubs and stuff like that. So I thought it was, it was pretty great to, to do that. Um, especially since he had been lampooning like the art snobs in the first one. And then, you know, he'd been for a while just kind of skewering uh, polite society or whoever else, you know? And so he, he really flipped it over on this one, but coming back to it, I just was, I mean, my jaw was almost on the floor at how predictive it was of everything and how relevant it is now more so even than when it was made, because since uh, not only have you had Borat and all that, but you've, you've got YouTube now also, uh, and it's stuff like that. And you just go like, well, man, now, now everybody, so many people are making their movies and there is a lot of anti Hollywood type bullshit out there. And, um, God, honey, Whitlock has a great line where she defends the Hollywood system. And it's like, it really makes a lot of sense. Cause as a, as an underground filmmaker myself, I have a lot of people ask me, do I hate Hollywood? I've had it asked a lot of times. I even had someone try to get me to join their I'm done with you Hollywood campaign a couple of years. Ago. I don't remember who started that. It was a filmmaker that did that. I'm like, I would never do that. I don't hate Hollywood. I don't even hate Melody Griffith. I like her voice quite a bit, I, especially when she's screaming obscenities, you know? <laughs> yeah. I thought I, I, unlike you, uh, Angelique, I actually liked Melanie Griffith Griffith in this film. I thought this was another instance of like, like Kathleen Turner was in serial mom where he got this high profile actress 
to just be as obscene as she possibly could, which well, is uh, for the majority. Oh, a white fucking limousine, like a not a white limousine, a white <laughs> fucking. I love it. I think the lines from this movie so often, dude, especially, and you guys probably won't see, be surprised about this one. Let's make a motherfucking movie. I say it all the time. <laughs> so Angelique has a problem with uh, Melanie Griffith. Did anyone else have any problems with any of the acting in this film? Was that something that bothered you at all, uh, Amanda? No, not at all. You actually liked all of the actors that were in this because a lot of the actors in this movie are would go on to become actually very well known. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? Let me take it back. And I think it was I, I think what it was was probably just I think it was a really forced over the top. But I'm sure that's what they were going for. Uh, Amanda Bynes portrayal of the Satanist. I found that character to be obnoxious, but it wasn't necessarily the acting. It was just that character, I think, that I found to be obnoxious. It's like, okay, I get it. You're in the same. Well, could it be that because now looking back on this film, this film is now 17 years old and we know who these actors are, seeing them at such a young age playing these really over the top characters? Because remember, at this time, those people weren't necessarily yeah. huge actors right. by any means. Like the guy from Entourage who plays the Herschel Gordon Lewis loving drug addict. Mm-hmm. He wasn't known for anything yeah. at that point. Well, so, but his character didn't bother. So, me. but did you go into it kind of having baggage no. with these actors? I didn't know. And I didn't know who I didn't even realize Amanda Bynes was in the movie. Oh. After all, after a senior. She's college. not in the movie. Yeah. That's Maggie Gyllenhaal. Maggie oh, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal. Excuse me. That's what I meant to say. Yeah, pardon me. That's what I meant to say. The, um, excuse me, Maggie Gyllenhaal char- character, I just found to be kind of obnoxious. Was, did anybody else kind of now looking back on this go in with any preconceived baggage with the actors? Because this is, this, like Andrew had said, and like I had said, this is kind of a throwback to that old style and old spirit of the early era John Waters with the acting. But now we have nothing but really with names as actors. Did any of this bother you with these kind of actors trying to play this super camp at all? No, no, <laughs> no, I'd forgotten how many of these people were in it. Actually, you know, I think I don't think the last time I watched this one all the way through, I don't think uh, Michael Shannon had really been a thing yet. And so it was a uh, it was cool to see, see him in particular build as Mike Shannon. He kind of underplayed uh, everything because he was, you know, he was a little reminiscent of uh, of crackers. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Big time. And so I remember watching it originally thinking, well, actually, dude, and we don't have to talk about this now, but I, I remember watching originally thinking that a, this is kind of a little uh, the closest he'll, he'll probably get to make a movie about his him and his buddies, what they did. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, again, as we talked about with Pecker, John Waters is out there saying that this has nothing to do with his life whatsoever and that he would. This is not how it was making the movies, but it is impossible to watch Cecil be demented and not think of how John Waters used to make movies about how he would he would basically hijack scenes run into public. Mm-hmm. I mean, the most famous scene in Pink Flamingos, other than the, the dog shit eating, is, is uh, Divine walking down 
the boulevard mm-hmm. with real genuine people gawking at her. And that is kind of like a lot of what goes on in this movie is that they are all the people that are in Cecil B. Demented's crew of miscreants that are out making a raving beauty. Raving beauty is the movie that they're making that they only, they only shoot master shots because yeah. there's only one take and that's the only true only truth yeah. <laughs> only truth they they all jump into a van and drive out into the city and just throw themselves at people and film it in um, shock value he describes the dreamlanders as cinematic terrorists right he uses that particular mm. term i mean i don't i don't think it gets any more plain really about what he's doing here I mean, it's it's partially the Patty Hearst story and partially, I guess it could be argued part of like what they did with Liz Renee. How, you know, when she first saw her costume, she cried. But, you know, that does happen to a lot. But she was a you know, she was the name that they they had there in Desperate Living. Um, And I God, I was thinking so many things about it. Uh, uh, I felt like like Cecil was kind of like David Lockery instead of John Waters. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's impossible to watch this movie and not think of the parallels with his life. I mean, even more so, I thought, than Pecker was. I thought this was so much a story about the Dreamlanders and how they were anti-everything that was establishment. Did you kind of feel that way, Andrew? Yeah, I I couldn't not. I mean, it was was lovely. And, and, And that has everything to do with now having watched these in order. And every time we do this because we've I've seen them in order that my take on the movie is always just so different from the first time. And it's not that I like it better or worse, because if I was going to criticize Cecil B. Demented as a film, I would say it really has no story. I don't like the music, <laughs> but it is so autobiographical. It's so cool the way that's done. And the real Patricia Hearst is making fun of herself in it. I mean, it's it to me is pretty incredible. I don't think it's, I don't think it's shitty. I think it's as close, like I said, to autobiographical as he'll probably ever get with his stuff. Yeah. In in speaking of Patricia Hearst, uh, the the quote unquote story of the movie. Yeah, this is very light on plot. It's mostly hijinks is loosely based around Patricia Hearst's story of being kidnapped and then coming out the other end, being a sympathizer with uh, her kidnappers. So that's kind of the story of what's going on here with Melanie Griffith getting kidnapped by Stephen Dorff, who plays Cecil B. Demented. Now, I always had with this movie was Stephen Dorff. Oh, see, and I liked him. He was my favorite. He was your favorite. Yeah. See, my thing is, I always felt that Stephen Dorff didn't go far enough. Like it felt like he was holding back. There are certain scenes in which he is wonderfully manic, like the scene where he, they, they invade uh, the, the sequel to Force Gump that's being filmed, Gump again, and he uh, takes over uh, the director of photography, stuns him, and then licks the, the film cartridge and then has this look on his face. <laughs> well, he's that, cursing it. He's cursing the camera. By yeah, it is, that is literally one of my favorite shots of this entire <laughs> film because his eyes are insane. <laughs> you know, my favorite yeah. is of his eyes is when they're in the theater and the porn theater and a dude stands up and says, Cecil be demented, a friend to pornography. And he just pumps his fist and gives this guy like this most sincere fucking look. <laughs> Yeah, I love that shot. That's also <laughs> one of my favorite shots. We just watched it a, a few minutes ago, and I, as soon as that came up, I looked at Amanda, and I, <laughs> we both kind of smiled. That's a great shot. But yeah. there's just 
in the beginning of the film, maybe it just is the overall tone because it is so in your face, late nineties, early two thousands, that it's just so earnest and so like on the nose with a lot of what it's doing style wise, that Steven Dorff's character doesn't hit for me until like almost the halfway point of this movie. He just feels a little too reserved and on the nose. And it is many, I love all the rest of the characters in this movie, but there's something about him as an actor in this movie that I just has never hit me, never hit me. Seth, who's probably your favorite character since how we always talk about our favorite characters with these John Waters movies, because essentially all of these movies have some of the best <laughs> characters we've ever seen in film. Seth, who is your favorite character in Cecil B. Demented, if there is one? I really like um, Chardonnay, the sound girl, <laughs> who has a boom mic taped to a shotgun <laughs> and just wants to cut a rap album with uh, the other guy and just goes apeshit yelling her lines whenever she gets a chance to, blasting people with the shotgun. Uh, she doesn't get a whole lot of screen time, but I think she's exactly the amount of over the top crazy that uh this movie was looking for yeah wild sounds screams <laughs> yeah. that out uh, before she... <laughs> the scene where she shoots the shotgun but has, still has her headphones on the mic picks it up it, <laughs> yeah. that cracked me up just oh fuck <laughs> yeah just something little like that it was hilarious she, yeah she never did uh, another movie this was her only film zenzel something fuck i can't remember yeah. her name. She, she, she was local. oh man dude find her i'll okay i'll do my best if she's still in the area she can't be that hard to find oh i'd love to oh i'd like to get my picture with because her and uh, lewis uh that's lawrence gilliard he was in straight out of brooklyn maddie rich's first movie speaking of people that nothing happened to maddie rich i don't know if you guys remember spike lee and maddie rich and and um, like John Singleton, like all those guys were in the early 90s supposed to be, you know what I'm saying, like the next big or whatever. Maddie Rich is the only one. Right. He did like the Inkwell, and, which is an awesome movie too. And then like nothing. Um, but that guy that plays Lewis, he does a lot of TV. He's still. Yeah, the- he does. I, I've, I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. He was hot for a while. Yeah, but Chardonnay, man, I'm with you there. Hmm. Yeah, she's a good one. Andrew, who's you, probably your favorite character? Got to be Cherish, Alicia Witt. <laughs> obviously supposed to be Tracy Lords, you know. Yep. I was a I was a porn actor and now I'm in underground cinema or whatever. Um I just I liked I liked Alicia Witt a lot and at the time um she'd been in this movie Four Rooms. I remember that one? Oh and yeah. Was, so the one segment where they're all witches and stuff, she wore the tape on nipples. She just reminds me of a few friends that I have. She's just really great. But I love the uh, that she's a fake porn actor. The, again, man, that scene where they're in the porno, porno theater, there's so many classic things that happen. But when she hears the, the dudes in the theater reacting to her performance, she gets like choked up. She's starting to like feel like she's getting an award or something. She's you know, well, when she of- walks into that porno shop and that dude that's running the counter literally goes, Oh, I, I beat off to you last night. <laughs> he brings uh, a, a mold of her ass for her to yeah. sign. Or whatever. <laughs> like to sniffles one effort to. <laughs> yeah, sniffles, yeah. It's just for an actor to be asked to do something like that. That's, you know, for a movie, a John Waters movie and for a movie like this, 
I'd have to say to 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 approach a professional actor, a name actor, um, to be a porno actor and to do, you know, they had to have filmed what was it called, rear entry. Yes, yes, and all, had, and all all anal night with uh, cherish. Yeah, and the gerbil scene to to just imagine <laughs> handing that script out, you know. <laughs> Maggie Gyllenhaal probably would have done it. Oh man, let me tell you, we'll revisit this concept next movie when we do a dirty shame with Tracy Ullman. <laughs> some of the some of the things that are asked of her to do as well. But yeah, I have to say I agree with you wholeheartedly. She's my favorite character in this film as well. And that porno scene, the porno theater scene, is so classic. John Waters. She walked, they walk in because they, they just got heckled and shot at. <laughs> and and they run into this place because the Teamsters are trying to get after them for taking over and yeah for shooting up a Gump again starring Kevin Nealon. That was great. <laughs> and uh, the scene is literally they walk into this porno theater and the entire porno theater is nothing but dudes jerking off and they sound like, like zombies. Yes, <laughs> jerking zombies. Yeah, they're. Uh... <laughs> Every time she says something on screen, they all go, ooh. <laughs> it's one of my favorite. It, it, that literally has to be one of my favorite John Waters scenes. I, I, I love it. It is so fucking funny. And it's, uh, I think, unfortunately, there those kind of scenes are just too far, too in between uh, in this movie. Because I think John Waters is just, He's trying to say a little bit more than just straight up comedy in this movie. It feels like a very pointed and directed message that he's trying to state with this, even though it's chaotic and kind of in your face. It just felt like comedy wasn't at the forefront of this film. But Angelique, who is your favorite character in this flick? Raven, the Satanist makeup girl. Yes. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I love it. here go ahead uh, amanda no, yeah, okay no, no just when she's bleaching out honey's hair shut up and just ah, going for it i love yeah. it i thought it was really funny when they were bleaching her hair and melody griffin's like ow oh it's burning my scalp please stop she's like Beauty's fuck pain. it yeah. I ripped yeah. off that character. I kind of basically wrote her into one of my old movies, Psycho Vixens. There's a girl that's like the witness or whatever. And, uh, but she's a Satanist. So I very much copied Raven in one of my other movies. Yeah. Well, and, uh, the character who is the, the hairstylist who's constantly, uh, bleaching her hair. He has another classic John Waters scene where Melanie Griffith says, but, you're gay. Gay men aren't as this yeah. aggro. Why are you so angry? I'm not gay. I'm heterosexual and I'm ashamed of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Another. I can't take the, the thickness or whatever the hell. Yeah, he said. no. When I, I try, I try to kiss him, but all I feel is stubble yeah. and, and a With certain the... uncomfortable thickness in his pants. <laughs> it's just like out of uh, female trouble, right? Absolutely out of female trouble. It's great. <laughs> so there, I mean, this is, I, 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 I'm going to keep saying this. I think Cecil B. Demented has so many instances where it is calling back to early era John Waters. And I think because of the style of it, it kind of gets lost. 
And the more you watch it, the more it opens itself up to you. It's not as immediately funny, but it definitely has stuff because we're watching these in order like this. And because all this stuff is so fresh in our brain, it's hard not to see all these callbacks and throwbacks and uh, ties to not only his life, but his previous movies. Now, Amanda, we didn't go to you. Who is your favorite character? Uh, Cecil. It was Cecil? Mm-hmm. I think what was funny about it is that I, I appreciated how um, committed he was to his, to his mission. And he was just like you said, not um, manic, but uh, just, I don't know how to phrase it. There was just a couple of scenes where it was just, okay, this sells it for me. And it's just really funny that he's like the leader and he refers to himself as the prophet. And as, as I, I'm, I'm a true auteur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that just cracked me up. Like I said, just his commitment to his vision. And um, I felt like the his character felt very natural. Right. Felt very blended with what was going on. Cool. So let's go ahead and move on to now the overall statement of the film which is anti-Hollywoodism and how underground cinema is better than Hollywood cinema in some way and, and uh, cinema snobbery and cinema elitism and blah, 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 blah. Andrew, what did, do you feel this, is, uh, this message is a little heavy-handed in this flick or how do you feel it was handled? I mean, back then maybe, but not now, you know? I mean, people really, people, the cinema purists really don't have a sense of humor about themselves. I mean, they might have then, but they, they don't now. And uh, I think, uh, I think it's fantastic to see him. Um, show, you know, back then it was supposed to be some like extreme point of view or whatever, and how they have the names of their favorite directors tattooed on themselves, you know. And I actually, when I first saw it, I hadn't heard of some of those people, and I got, I looked them up and watched some of their movies just because, like, John Waters, you know, put them in the same league with Herschel Gordon Lewis and, um, and, and, uh, uh, what was it like Sam Peckinpah, Almo Devar, but I had never seen anything, um, by Fassbender. And I, you better believe, man, I, I got into some Fassbender after that. And I really, you know, so that was cool. But I, yeah, I, I think it's one of the things that's very relevant now is um, the fact that motherfuckers are just really like that. You know, all the extreme points of view, particularly on social media. Yeah, absolutely. I think at that time, um, some of what Cecil B. Demented's point of view, the extremism in his anti-style like vision of what he wanted to make as a film kind of threw back to like Lars Van Trier when he's trying to, you know, spearhead that whole dogma 95. Yeah. Thing. He says style is nothing but failed technique. I think is one of the, his mm-hmm. correct. Rules. So, so there it's that same kind of thing where it's just like, we're trying to find truth in cinema by not, modeling ourselves after anything that's come before and while there is some i think some purity to that you know some like it's you can create some exciting things you also are extremely limiting yourself and sometimes some of that stuff is just it is art for the sake of art and you don't it's hard to get anything out of that kind of stuff like dogma 95 most of those movies were Let's be honest. They were garbage. Well, a lot of it's just a jack off and he's showing it as a jack off, you know? 
I I wanted to see this movie they were making. <laughs> really bad. Like the whole time you get glimpses of this movie they're making and you know how like how strongly willed he is and all these ridiculously hypocritical stances on filmmaking that he has at, at any given point during the movie. I always want to be like, okay, well, you're talking a big game. When can I finally see this movie? I want to see this. Movie that's the way people are now, aren't they? You know, that shit would have been if Cecil, if that Cecil was a guy now and you know, such as you say, fart smeller, You've said that to me in conversation before about people like absolutely. That. He would have ended up, I bet you, if the short was ever done. And John on the commentary speculated as to what happened to the film was that they, um, um, they Chardonnay and Lewis got away with it and um, used the footage as a music video. <laughs> That's probably the amount of usable shit that they shot for it. Absolutely, two and a half minutes. But if he was now, he'd cut it in. You know, he'd use all of it. You know. For you know, make a two-hour thing out of it somehow. Yeah, if he was still alive, if Cecil was still alive, you know, it would be a total fart sniffing marathon. No, it would still be an editing since two thousand. It wouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> editing since two thousand. I actually, when I was watching this, I thought to myself, "Oh, I wonder if anybody, or if there's like a special feature anywhere that um, puts together any, you know, any even attempt at a at a film of this." Does he ever, show? you know, like if they would, if they would have taken any, cause there's a couple of scenes where, you know, like there's one scene in the movie where Melanie Griffith is walking with a drink in her hand. Uh, and in the background, she kind of glances up and looks at a projector of the scene where she's jumping off the roof. Right. You know, and then there's like, a, there's another scene where it should, so there's little bits and pieces of what should be the edited film. And I always want no, to just myself, dailies. They're just watching the dailies. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. That's what I mean. I guess I don't know the terminology. I suppose, but yeah. That's the, the, the film that yeah. they shot that day that they're watching. Yeah. So I wondered if anybody ever, or if John Waters would have c considered maybe putting those bits and pieces together and creating a mini film of it as a special feature or something. No, that would did be they fun. do that? I like what Andrew nights? said. Didn't they do a, What's that? Didn't they do some of that with Boogie Nights? Some of those little films that they show in in Boogie Nights that they were shooting. Oh. Don't they have? Aren't there cut like cuts of those on the DVD? I can't remember. I don't remember either. I don't remember either. But yeah, I kind of like that idea that they absconded with the footage <laughs> at the end, and they're all like, "Yeah, we made this movie," and then they just walk away. And because the one dude, he didn't care about making the movie; he just wanted a rap career. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the entire time, so I kind of like that idea. Um, I almost died when um, the drug addict got shot in the head, and as he's dying, he's like, "Give me some poppers." <laughs> <laughs> I loved him. He was a great. He's great. Give some poppers. Ooh. And it wasn't just the fact that he liked to huff gasoline and oh, tattooed and Herschel and, and, and hump uh, film film, <laughs> film projectors and have his great line sure. was: "Before I became a drug addict, I had so many problems. Now I only have one." No, I only have one. I laughed out. I literally lulled at that. Yeah. I lolled. Yeah. <laughs> My life now has so much more focus. Yes, he's looking at like a joint or a crack pipe when he says it. Yeah, crack pipe. <laughs> my favorite part. My favorite part of him is when they're at the Maryland Film Commission 
uh, conference where they're trying to court uh, Hollywood into coming and filming there. Um, they're the Hollywood of the East. Do and, they really uh, do that kind of thing? Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. All the time. You know, tax incentives and things like this to get Hollywood to come um, and film in your area. Yeah. Every state tries and do it. I mean, Wisconsin did that. And that's how we got um, what's his nuts uh, De Palma to come and film public enemies here. So it, every state does it. But uh, there's that scene where the the firefight starts after Melanie Griffith jumps off of the the roof, and then his character is running in place. He's like, "Hey, Cecil B, I'm stuck in a K hole. I'm stuck in a K hole." I'll tell you, from a medical standpoint, that's not really what a K hole looks like. I didn't care, man. That was funny. Oh god, that shit killed me. People are wild fucking animals when they're coming out of a K hole. I think the point was no one even had heard of it at that time, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I'm stuck in a K-hole. Yeah, the first, <laughs> first mention of a K-hole ever in cinema history. <laughs> oh, man, there's there's so much in this movie that once you get into it, there's a lot to laugh at. It's, oh, I'm not saying that I... I'm not saying that I didn't enjoy it. I laughed through it. There were some funny parts in it. But in terms of a John Waters film, it's certainly my least favorite. Oh, okay. Okay. It's even taking into consideration some of the really, really early stuff that I was kind of initially very turned off by. I would rewatch those before I would rewatch this. Whoa, yeah. interesting. Because there was even, you those kind of shied like, away. Those feel like John Waters films to me compared to this. In in what way? They're grungy and they're rough and they're slap you around and make you nervous. <laughs> kind, kind of sounds like Cecil B. Demented to me. Well, but this no, also is I kind of this as a Hollywood version of of that of that, and that's what's off putting to me about okay. it. Okay, it still is. Kind of, it still is kind of goofy the way that all his later stuff is. You know, he just yeah. Once he went yes. goofy after hairspray, he never never went back they're all good. right you know i i really think the the big disconnect and i'd like to hear uh seth and angelique speak to this is the style is the visual and audio style of this movie and because it's so of its yeah, era i i think that's what creates the big disconnect because i think the characters are all very john waters i think what's be the plot is all is very john waters the, what happens in the movie is very John, like everything about it other than the style. And I think this, I thought of this today when I was rewatching it again, like I said, I've watched it a bunch of times this week and it reminded me of when George Romero came out with land of the dead, land of the dead felt like a Hollywood movie and didn't feel like a George Romero movie. And that's what it and is. This movie is too smooth for me for what I know John Waters to be. It feels too smooth for me. It's like John Waters gave Hollywood a script and said, this is what I want to do. This will be fucking awesome. And they're like, all right, we're going to pull out all of the peaks and troughs of your movie and just pull it to the middle. That's what I think I don't care for. Mm. About it. It's too smooth. Angelique? Yeah, I can I can agree with that. It's it's not gritty at all. It's too pretty, I guess, for the subject matter. Like, you know, I would almost want it to be like a found footage kind of deal, you know? Mm. Like yeah, I all, think if it was made today, it it probably would be like that. Yeah, I think I think that would, you know, help my enjoyment factor up a little bit. And you know, he did the 
the whole introduction of the characters thing of, you know, when they're showing their tattoos and stuff, you know, I'm like, what? We know the characters' names. We know what's up. Just continue on with the story. Give me more yeah, story. That was long. That felt long and to me. Too. What's funny is he did the same thing in in Dirty Shame. So I'm just like, yeah, you know, it, it's just it's it it felt very just squeaky, I guess, just like boop, here it is. <laughs> it's again, it's the style. Yeah. it's the it's the style, the presentation of it. Seth, what do you have to say about this? Yeah, I think. Uh, had I seen it in 2000, maybe the time, you know, it would have felt more organic, but it all just felt like a shopping mall version of John Waters. It, the whole thing just, it's there, but it's kind of like that fake edgy, you know, the, a, a false edge to it. Um, the music, you could tell he had someone go out and pick some, some bands that were, you know, I mean, the locust pops up in, I just don't really expect yeah. to, to hear the locust pop up in a John Waters movie. Even, you know, I mean, the scene's crazy. It's the high, the the kidnapping and we're throwing Molotov cocktails into a, you know, movie theater. But I don't know. It just all felt a little, a little forced. And it's not that I didn't like it. I thought it was funny and it had its, you know, a lot of good, genuine John Waters moments. But it just, it comes off as forced and not disingenuine, just out of touch. Mm. It's the hot topic of the John. Waters it's this. Collection. It's okay. Let's all be very. <laughs> let's all be very honest. It's the soundtrack. Yeah, it's so off putting. You could tell it wasn't John Waters going in and saying, "Okay, I want this song to be this yep. playing when Divine walks down the street. I want this song to do this. This song to do that." You nailed it. It's the Into hot that. topic of the John Waters of the John Waters film catalog. To that, before I even started the movie on the DVD menu, it's this like, you know, industrial hard rock. And I just went, what is, what am I about to watch? Like, it didn't, if, even before I hit play on the DVD, I just, it didn't feel like a John Waters movie was about to grace my screen. Except for the very end, the end of the movie where Melanie Griffith is getting ushered off to the paddy wagon. Absolutely. It's it's a perfect ending to the film. And that song is so amazing. That's pure John Waters. And the rest of the soundtrack, very off-putting. Andrew, would this be the Achilles heel if there's anything of Cecil B. Demented as the soundtrack? Well, other than it not having a story, yes. Uh, the, the, the songs I dislike the most are the ones that John Waters wrote the lyrics to. These hip-hop songs that have all these movie lingo in it. I really, you want to talk about the scene where they're showing their tattoos being taking too long. The musical scenes where clearly it's like, hey, listen to these lyrics about this. That to me, that yeah, that seemed very out of touch. And um, that that is the thing about the movie that actually, to me, I don't, I don't like is, uh, you know, not just the fact that, like you said, the music is clearly not picked by him, but those songs were written by him and they were not good. So, mm. It's the demented forever <laughs> yeah, song. Yeah, that song is terrible and and it's me, cringy. But but because they didn't have anywhere to go after Annie Whitlock sides with them, the the movie is over. You're just the left to see like does do they survive? Are they captured, killed, or what happens to his film? If uh, she had made like escape attempts, things like that, if they'd taken longer um, for Honey to come around and to become 
either stockholmed or or whatever you know by by seeing their side of it i think the film would have benefited from ripping off either king of comedy or uh, the actual patty Hearst story more than it already did right which both of those listeners if you're not familiar uh king of comedy i believe it's a scorsese film right yeah yeah that's the that's the one with uh with uh with de niro and jerry lewis it's a pretty good pretty good story and it's you know it's similarly you know you have somebody just obsessed with the the famous person or whatever um but it's uh this is this is what I mean. It was just kind of, it was, it was a little undercooked, but um, the film, I think the project itself was more made to do the things that you and I have both said that it does and it does them well, but that doesn't make a, you know, a good three act structure. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that completely. So is there anything before we wrap this up and go around the horn and get final thoughts? Is there anything about the movie that anybody wanted to discuss at all is there anything while you were watching it amanda that you thought you'd like to talk about we'll just do the around the horn quick i will say i don't know why but um, melanie griffith's outfits struck me as something like i would want to wear this every day i want this to be my wardrobe i loved every fucking outfit once she got kidnapped that she was wearing isn't that so ridiculous? Why would that come into my mind? <laughs> so, so you liked, liked the art the, direction liked, in the yeah, I yeah. liked the style of the um, I liked the style of the clan. You know, I thought that was pulled off really well. And and again, I don't think that aesthetically it's a bad movie. I don't. There was a lot of parts of it that I really enjoyed. But yeah, no, I thought Melanie Griffith's office. I I could see myself stomping around my house in the, especially the outfit she's wearing where she's wearing like a, um, a onesie and tights. And then she has on like this weird floral cape. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I want to wear that. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Angelique, was there anything in particular you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover? Mink stole getting beat up and the wheelchair kid just rejoicing about it yes (laughs) oh please let's talk about that amazing wheelchair kid scene that's where i started to feel john waters in the movie in that scene is where i first started to think okay now i'm starting to see john waters where where she where mink stole comes over and shuts his oxygen off yeah (laughs) shut up you little fucker (laughs) that's that's where you see the first feathers of john water arrive (laughs) Oh God, that scene is so hilarious. That little kid is such an asshole. (laughs) With a terrible haircut. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. um, Seth, was there anything you wanted to discuss we didn't talk about? Uh, No, just it was fun seeing some uh, Baltimore locations be completely different than they are now. I bet you watching these movies is kind of like going back in time in Baltimore, I'm guessing. Yeah, it really is. Um, Yeah, because he showed a lot of theaters in this movie. And uh, one of the big ones is the Hippodrome, which was everything from back in the 50s, you know, high end, you know, get out and dress nice theater to run down exploitation theater. And then it closed for years and was derelict in this movie. And now it's where all the uh, Broadway plays go when they tour. (laughs) So interesting. Yeah, it's it, uh, you know that one. Um, the porn theater was the Apex Theater, which uh, is in Fells Point and is now a church. <laughs> um, I actually 
I wanted to to interview the the owner of that one a few years ago when it was still open. It was one of the something like last forty like all porn theaters in the country. But at that point, he just wanted to get rid of it, and uh, as soon as it stopped making money, he sold it. But it hung it hung in there for a while. Uh, so that was fun to see. The it's amazing that it. When did it probably? When did it close up? Do you oh, think? Oh, it was probably twenty twelve or twenty thirteen. Wow, that is yeah. shocking. Yeah. The yeah. advent of the internet. Yeah, he, he said in a previous interview, you know, I don't even care about it anymore. It's just old guys that can't figure out the internet coming in. <laughs> <laughs> now, the porn theater in the neighborhood I grew up in, um, it was still in operation through around that time, closed around the same time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it was just fun seeing all the all these different theaters and how they've changed since then. That's that's awesome. That's awesome. Andrew, was there anything you wanted to talk about before we wrap this up? Uh, well, I, I guess mentioning Mink Stoll, you got to mention um, that Mary Vivian Pierce has a, yeah. some speaking role. Uh, I think she just had a stroke or a brain surgery or something yeah. like that. Um, but she's she's hitting Melanie Griffith for real with like juju <laughs> I love that. That's a, the scene where the, 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 they went in and hijacked a patch Adams director's yeah. cut uh, screening <laughs> and everyone's crying and, and they come out. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't pay to watch your movies. They're garbage. And then they're all. Yeah. I, I walked out of your movie on an airplane. <laughs> that was the best. <laughs> yeah, but Mary Vivian Pierce, it, it definitely I, I looks I, I in the last few films, I couldn't point her out at all. But she is literally she has for an extra an awful lot of screen time. <laughs> yeah, Susan Lowe right beside her, too, saying it had a bunch of lines right there, you know. Yeah, it was yeah. great. It reminded me of um, in Multiple Maniacs where they get to play the uh, neighborhood people, you know, gasping and commenting at the uh, the freak show. You know? Right. Yeah. Um, and I think Channing Wilroy, I don't remember who he played, but I remember seeing uh, his name in the credits, too. Pretty cool that he got so many of the Dreamlanders in this one. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun watching that. Mink Stoll had a really good scene with the kid as we said but yeah it was nice seeing them in there yeah. because i know right before this yeah mary vivian pierce had been in the hospital i was just so. gonna mention the makeup on um, honey whitlock and the makeup on cherish it did uh, different points very reminiscent of uh, stuff of divine divine yeah i big thought time. that too as soon as i saw it mm-hmm. female especially, trouble especially yeah. with the really big blocked out bright eyeshadow yes. and the really mm-hmm. exaggerated drawn on eyebrows mm-hmm yeah yeah so as i said lots of callbacks Mm -hmm. lots and lots of callbacks so let's go ahead and but that's what it is it feels like callbacks not like a genuine john waters film that's what it is to me it feels like i'm referencing other john waters films but it doesn't feel like john waters well like like andrew had discussed in the last episode we'll reiterate here is john waters now is kind of contending with the fact that He's more of a, a public figure yeah. than he is a, mm-hmm. a working artist, mm-hmm. as he once was. And I, I, he, I think there's an expectation for oh, certain yeah. films to feel a certain way, as opposed to mm-hmm. him being able to branch out and do something different. Yeah. You know, and in the book, uh, Make Trouble, which I feel like I'm pitching tonight. I'm hawking and pitching tonight. I'm <laughs> shilling for John Waters. He makes reference to the fact that the the only really truly devious film he ever made was hairspray 
and everything else kind of was trying to be deviated. It was speaking to uh, the converted already. And the reasoning for Hairspray, as we had discussed before, is because he was telling the masses interracial sex and couples are okay. So he feels that's the only truly devious film he ever made. And uh, I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, well, in 2017, <laughs> it kind of is. Things have kind of spun back around. So Right, right, right. So anyways, let's go ahead and we'll wrap this up. We'll go down the line. And I'd like, obviously, this is where we go yay or nay. We recommend you guys to watch this and uh, give her final thoughts on the film. And Amanda, seems how you're right next to me, and I'm staring right at you. We're nose to nose. <laughs> um, yay or nay on this one, and uh, give your final thoughts. I give it a reluctant yay. Uh, I think you should watch it. I think there are some good things in it. But I wouldn't use this as the benchmark for John Waters. This should be artist. deep John Waters yeah, feeling. This is not, for me, this would not be the benchmark film for what John Waters' artistic style and is. Okay. Angelique. Amanda took the words right out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A very <laughs> reluctant yay. You know, watch it. It's part of his catalog. You know, absolutely give it a, mm-hmm. give it a try, but it, not one of my favorites in like I said, not one that I get the craving to watch like I do the other ones. Where mm-hmm. where would you two place this? Oof, way low, way, way, way What low. do you think? Seems how we haven't seen uh, Dirty Shame yet. Would this be the worst? For me, yeah. Angelique? Yeah. Okay, all right. Mm-hmm. Seth? I'm with the ladies here, man. Reluctant, yay. Uh, I enjoyed watching it. You know, I had a fun time, but mm-hmm. just it wasn't you know, something I was in love with and I would put it at the bottom. But again, I had fun watching it. So, mm-hmm. whoa, this is this is getting rather, rather depressing here. <laughs> Andrew, I, I just love it. You know, I, I feel like, God, as, a, as an underground filmmaker here in Athens, what I wouldn't give to just have a giant warehouse like that with my whole crew in there <laughs> and those wonderful sets that he has. I mean, it's, it's so, it's awesome. I would, that was, par- that would be paradise for me. So whenever I think of Cecil B. Demented, I just think of how idealized the, the filmmaking scenario is, except, you know, I don't have that whole, <laughs> you know, the, what I guess might even be considered like hipstery and or, or extreme now, you know, everybody just, with low budget filmmaking, it's such a badge of honor and wear it on your sleeve. And mm-hmm. everybody's just trying to out hardcore each other, even though Cecil says, you know, you've co-opted our sex and violence, which is absolutely true. This was out before Hostel was, which right. you know, could arguably say was the final thing. Because once you had extreme gore and multiplexes, it was over for the low budget filmmaker. I mean, look at what they're doing now. They're, you know, vomiting on babies and stuff. What are they trying to do to stay relevant or stay, you know, but that's, it's done. Uh, but I, you know, we'll talk about it more in the final episode of whether or not John Waters really had anything to say in the latter part of his career. If he was really just trying to find, find his way out of filmmaking and settle into who he is now. But I think that Cecily Demented is a movie ahead of its time. And I would love to see some of today's no budget uh, (laughs) people look at this and laugh and go, (laughs) that's not us though. Right. (laughs) 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 It is. And also there are two black characters in this film. 
big yep. big thing for John Waters. It's not something that he always has. So I thought that was coming back on it. I was like, well, that's pretty great because you know I have noticed for the most part he makes very white movies, and so even though with the stupid hip hop songs aside. They are part of the group. They do have screen time. And, you know, uh, like that, like Seth said, with that shotgun, you know, microphones, great, great idea. So, um, you know, I have to have to say it's remarkable for that if, if you don't want to say anything else good about it. Yeah. And it's speaking to that. It all of a sudden just popped into my head. This, I think, is the first time in all of John Waters movies where I think a gay character is played for laughs. I think uh, Mike Shannon's character at the end, the the epic conclusion where they, they wrap the film and because they've been saving themselves and being celibate for, for making film for art, they all have this huge orgy on top of this building while, <laughs> you know, the cops are, are attempting to take them out and whatnot. And Mike Shannon's character calls on a man to come up and start blowing him. And, uh, all, all of a sudden we get shot reaction shots from a bunch of cops wincing. And I think this is the first time in any of his movies where he kind of plays a normal, like the normal preconceived notion of homosexuality for laughs, like in normal movies, that's how they're always portrayed. Mm-hmm. It's like, Ooh, gross. Isn't that gross? Oh, but they are being represented, that kind of, though, you know, in that whole order. It is being represented, but at the same time, I, I thought I found that to be very odd. Mm-hmm. It is in a John Waters movie. Yeah. But I mean, if he's in the 90s, you got to remember, it's like, you know, that was like pretty much the boom of queer cinema. You know, uh, a lot of that right. stuff was just sort of like it was about just like making the viewer uh, deal with the realities of that, but him. yeah, like Greg Araki and filmmakers exactly. such as that, you know, stuff so like he, that to stay relevant in yet another decade, you know, he was really kind of throwing it out there, you know? Right. So, um, I would, I'm very reluctant to tell my listeners that this is probably my least favorite John Waters film because I still like this movie. I still in relative let's let's speak in relative terms to the rest of his filmography. This is probably the lowest on uh, of his films for you. For me, mostly just due to style, due to content, due to spirit, due to uh, the jokes, the characters. I, I like this movie. I think it's really fun. I think it, it does take as I not to just regurgitate what I had said before. I do think this is a movie that warrants multiple views. I, I think the style is so brash and so in your face that it can be off putting. But I think if you watch it multiple times and, and with John Waters filmography in your mind, not just taking it at face value, there's a lot to sift through in this movie. And it, it, there's a lot more to it than just an in-your-face fuck you of a movie, which it is to a certain extent. I, wonder, I, wonder, I mean, it, that's why I feel it, it It feels so close to his earlier films. Because it does feel like there's a little bit of John Waters' anarchic spirit in there. A little. <laughs> a little. A little. But it is... This it's funny that he would talk about, you know, Hollywood co-opting the underground 
when this is such a Hollywood feeling movie. So I, I would, I would recommend it wholeheartedly um, as a John Waters fan. Um, but I would go in with my expectations a little low um, just because it does feel so different off the bat and it doesn't really open itself up to a full John Waters movie till probably I would almost say halfway through. So it's unfortunate to, to say it like that, but it's the truth. I, I, as I said in the beginning, this was a movie that when it first came out, I didn't get. And when I watched it again a couple of weeks ago, I still didn't get it. And then I, but I just, I'm like, there's something here and I just, I want to see what it is. And by today, after watching a few more times, I actually like this movie. I'm sh- kind of shocked because <laughs> it really, the style is so damn off-putting. Well, I wonder. So damn. I wonder if he, uh, on purpose, sort of did that because it was getting so close to his real story that if he was to put John Waters movie type music in there, it would seem it would seem like he was maybe trying to to tell that story as opposed yeah. to this story. I think it was you an intentional decision. Yeah, I, I think so. But I think I think we we're kind of candy coating things. By, by saying it like that. I think it's more along the lines of the, the soundtrack felt like it was manufactured for, for selling a soundtrack as opposed to putting emotion, a, a cohesive Evo- movie. Evo- yeah. Well, there was emotion. I mean, I kind of liked the locust song <laughs> to be honest in there. Cause how often do you hear grindcore or death metal in a movie, a Hollywood movie? Almost never. Well, it's, so it's, I, it's why I scream doesn't do it for me anymore because it is so squeaky clean and polished and it's just not my favorite Wes Craven <laughs> style. You know, I'll take yeah. Elm street or Hills have eyes or, or, um, or um the the last house on the left uh it just seems you know that that edge is kind of gone because of how how squeaky it all looked oh and just dated as well i think a lot of movies of that era the the mid to late Mm -hmm. 90s through the mid uh 2000s just are very dated now it's it's going to be what all the hd stuff uh, is going to it'll be like in the future we're going to be like god why did everyone you know (laughs) yeah i i think we're already kind of seeing that so all right folks we have one more episode to go Mm -hmm. kind of bittersweet but next month you'll be listening to our last John Waters episode, A Dirty Shame. And it's a dirty shame that's the last episode. I mean, we said we're going to do kind of a bonus episode with uh, with Lust in the Dust. Yeah. But that's not a John Waters film. So the proper and conclusion to the series will come next month with A Dirty Shame. So thank you, listeners. And of course, as always, as I say, thank you guys for, for doing this. I, I, I love that we did this. I say this every episode because I genuinely mean it because it's been wonderful to go through these Mm -hmm. movies and watch them with a new set of eyes. John Waters is an important director. And I think anybody that listens to my show should be taking this journey with us and should be watching these flicks. They're totally worthwhile. So let's go to this portion of the show where we shamelessly shill the fuck out of you, Mr. Seth Pollen. Shill. Oh, you guys can find all sorts of horror, cult, and exploitation film reviews at celluloidterror.com and Celluloid Terror on Facebook, Twitter, 
and YouTube. Miss Angelique Bone, shill your ass off. <laughs> Wait, that's a tall order. Uh, <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> uh, no, you can uh, find me on another one of the Astro Radio Z family of podcasts with the Film Jerks. Um, we just had our uh, last episode come up on Kung Pao, Enter the Fist. Um, give us a listen. It's a, more of a family-friendly show <laughs> not definitely not john waters caliber <laughs> um and also uh you can find some reviews from myself and some uh funny cats on the lost and keep an eye out soon uh for ragon reviews once a month i'm going to be reviewing a, a female driven film where a badass lady takes out some scumbags <laughs> love it i love this idea i can't wait Last but not least, Mr. Andrew Shearer, shill your ass off and don't fuck it up. Oh, <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody. I love doing these with you guys. I love hearing the stuff that you guys say. And this has been, um, as a John Waters fan, one of the coolest things that's ever happened, getting to watch them in order like this and talk about them. It's been spectacular. Um, my friends and I in Athens, Georgia here, Model ourselves a little bit after Dreamland players. We make underground movies together under the banner of Gonzorific, G-O-N-Z-O-R-I-F-F-I-C. And if you want to buy DVDs, they're out there at gonzorific.com. If you want to watch the videos on YouTube, we got a channel there. And if you want to watch some of the stuff on Amazon Prime or Amazon On Demand, we have a bunch of movies on Prime. I think May of the Dead and Very Scary. And then uh, for Amazon On Demand, we have a lot of them, including the newest ones, Late Night Cable in the underground cinema cinema with an s and i am putting the finishing touches on the new one i think we're going to call it space boobs in space (laughs) (laughs) love it now now i have to ask you because we are talking about cecil b demented tonight did you get uh the title for your underground cinema from this movie yeah from cherish's t-shirt absolutely Mm -hmm. bingo Mm -hmm. that's what i thought (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I figured as much. So anyways, all right, folks, that's it until next week when we're going to be talking about the first listener voted shot on video film, the burning moon. Oh, shit. And until then, You can find Astro Radio Z on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, YouTube, and anywhere podcasts are found. Please, help us by subscribing, rating the show, and giving us a review. It helps us get the show out to more listeners. Also, if you would like to hear more of the show and be a more active participant, join the Astro Radio Z Facebook group and page, and join the Patreon. For only $1 a month, you get bonus episodes. Thank you for listening. See you next week, Astro Zombies.